Can post-traumatic stress disorder be mitigated? When disaster strikes, the human body responds. Is there something we can do at the scene to delay or prevent the onset of PTSD? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Captain Mimi Tompkins of Aloha Airlines to discuss what physicians need to understand about the implications that a traumatic event has on the physical and psychological being of all the members involved. After a traumatic event, Captain Tompkins helped establish the Airline Pilot Association's Critical Incident Response Program and now heads the Human Performance Committees of Aloha Airlines and oversees the Critical Incident Response Program, working closely with the general aviation community in Hawaii and assists other airlines when necessary. Mimi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Mimi, what made you so involved in this? I imagine something happened in your personal life to make you passionate about this. Yes. In 1988, I was involved in an aircraft accident. A Boeing 737 landed in Maui with 18 feet of its fuselage missing. And at the time, I was the co-pilot. And the accident or the flight, actually the flight was not the major trauma for me because I felt I was very well trained for that. But the aftermath is what actually came to haunt me. I was not prepared for what happened once we landed. So let's talk about the aftermath. Is it an acute onset? Is it a delay onset? Is it different for everyone? I think it's different for everyone. And for me, it was quite a delay before I realized that I was having post-traumatic stress symptoms or problems. And I had never heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. I didn't even know that you know severe stress could cause physical problems and psychological problems. So I was uneducated. So you've decided to to educate the airline industry and the world. Well, I educated myself, and then I hoped to be able to provide assistance and support to other crew members following incidents and accidents. So because of you, what now is available in the airline industry? What's what's the standard method that we use to deal with with accidents? Well, I was part of a team. It wasn't just me putting the program together. But now what's standard is following a critical event. And an accident doesn't actually have to happen for it to be a critical event. It could be just a very close call. And passengers may know nothing about that. But the crew members could still, in their own mind, the event played out to maybe an accident. What do you call a close call? It could be almost running off the runway. It could be what we call a go-around where you almost land, but there's another airplane right on the runway. So if you would have landed, you would have hit them, or or maybe a near miss in the air. And passengers would never know anything about that, fortunately. As a pilot, if you have a go-around, what do you say to the people in the cabin? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we just had a little excitement up here. No, we usually say there's something on the runway, maybe a dog, but if they can see another airplane, there's another airplane on the runway, so we're having to go around. They were a little slow getting off, you know, something... Something with some humor, if possible. Now, go-arounds are not that dangerous because, you you know, all you have to do is hit the speed button. And, uh, you know, when you're in landing mode, you're almost in takeoff mode. Right. So it just depends on how close the call was. So you would know, the flight attendants would know, but the passengers are clueless. Right. Which is good because you don't need 200 people traumatized. No, we don't. Instead of just five or four. That's correct. What is the Critical Incident Stress Management Program? It sounds very intense. It's actually a simple program where volunteers are trained with a two-day certification and hopefully more training 
as they mature as volunteers. The airline would have a notification system where often an email or page would go out to the team leaders that an event happened, and the coordinator would quickly mobilize some volunteers to be ready to either meet that plane when it lands in order to talk with the crew as soon as they get on the ground or to at least call them if they were, you know, in a city too far away to have someone meet them. They would receive what's called a diffusing, either on the telephone or in person, preferably in person. It's very hard to practice medicine over the phone, do therapy over the phone. It's good to have a human face in front of another human face to kind of actually be empathic and feel things. Right. I would prefer my diffusion to be on face-to-face. We prefer that if possible. And so, therefore, the, the different airline teams utilize each other. If we at Aloha would not have a peer at Santa Ana John Wayne Airport, we would call one of the other teams and see if they could help. There's a standard now, and everybody kind of plays their part when they can. Yes. We chose at the airline industry or airline pilot association to utilize the method that the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation teaches so that all of our volunteers are, are standardized. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Captain Mimi Tompkins of Aloha Airlines. We're talking about a program she helped to create, the Critical Incident Stress Management Program. Mimi, what about internationally? I know that a plane went down recently in, I think it was Brazil. Does your program have any international reach? It does. I don't know what the connections are in Brazil, but for the U.S. airlines and many of the European airlines and also Japan has joined our Critical Incident Stress Network, we will do everything possible to assist the crew members. And sometimes countries that don't have a program will ask for volunteers to help. For example, in Germany, there's a program called the May Day Foundation, and they assist in the same way that we do. They are part of the Airline Pilot Association as pilots and union members, and they have a, a wonderful network in Europe that we've linked into. You know, when you diffuse somebody after a trauma, do they ever talk about medicating the person then, like with a beta blocker or something that might kind of help with their their arousal system so they don't get too riled up? With the flight attendants, yes, that sometimes occurs. Now, with the diffusing, it's just a, a pilot peer volunteer. And four or five days after the event has ended, and that means the investigation that follows, and then there'll be a debriefing with the crew member. And a debriefing involves a mental health professional. And that's about an hour and a half to two hours structured debriefing, talking in great detail with the entire crew about what happened. And that talking together as a group is very healing because each person has a different piece of what happened. But yes, after a debriefing, the mental health professional will talk with individual crew members who may need additional help and refer them to a psychologist, psychiatrist, or another mental health professional. And it is not uncommon, sometimes for flight attendants, to get medication to assist. Mimi, in your experience, have you learned what kind of predisposes someone to developing PTSD versus someone else? I mean, if you put 100 people in a situation, some of them are going to develop it, some of them will not. Is there some sort of 
pre-morbid personality or character disorder that will kind of help you figure out who's going to develop what? Well, what we are taught and what I've observed in my 15 or 16 years of doing this is that people who have trauma experiences from childhood, physical abuse, sexual abuse, have a much higher chance of reacting with post-traumatic stress disorder, or war veterans, you know, which many, many pilots have flown in the various wars, and of course they have a much higher chance percentage. Well, you brought up one of my next questions. We're going to have a lot of soldiers returning from war soon, hopefully, and I am going to guess that many of them are going to have PTSD. And is there something in your program that can be used or extrapolated to general internists, to our government, to our VA system to help these guys so they don't all end up on the streets like after Vietnam? Yes, I agree. I hope and pray that they get as much mental health support as they can possibly get. I would advise their personal physicians that they may be seeing for problems that may not be clear that it's post-traumatic stress disorder, that I would hope that their physicians would encourage them to go on and seek professional help from a psychologist or a psychiatrist who is familiar and often treats post-traumatic stress disorder. I would hope that this kind of treatment would be what we call in the airline industry automatic because if we leave it up to people to volunteer to get the help, they don't want to because there's still a lot of stigma against seeking counseling or psychological help. And that stigma has got to be erased. And the way that we've found that it can be handled is by pre-education and and just letting people know this program is automatic. They know that we're going to call and they know that for something really disturbing, they need to go on and get some seek professional help. Knowing what I know of our government, I'm going to say there is no fixed program in place for everybody coming back to to go through some sort of program like this. And it sounds like they absolutely need it. I agree. Absolutely. So it's up to you, Mimi, to start lobbying once again with our government. Get back into your political seat. There's many, many people doing that, and I will definitely continue But I do think that every single physician could also help by learning something about critical incident stress and post-traumatic stress disorder, even just a simple two-day course, and then have a connection, a team of people that they trust and know are competent that they can refer people to. Because what we know is that we have very narrow windows of openings to get people to seek help. And I would think that when a person is in a physician's office, they're asking for help, and they respect their physicians. And for their physician to take the time to ask, have you experienced a trauma? Pull that out, you know, even just a few minutes, and then quickly have some people that they could say, you know, I think you need to look into this, and and here's a couple of people I trust and know are competent. I think that could make a huge difference in someone's life. So let's throw this out to every physician listening that every office should have a PTSD disaster plan in place that if they start having soldiers showing up to their practice, that they should first, number one, think of PTSD as the most likely diagnosis and have a plan of where they can send these patients because that's the problem. We can identify it, but we may have nowhere to send them or therapists in the area that know about it or will even accept their insurance. And so that that's the struggle is getting them the care they need. 
And if the physician did take the time to attend like a basic critical incident stress course, stress management course, at that course would be people who are linked in the community because the police, the fire, rescue, the airlines have networks that are well-established and they know who the competent mental health people are in the neighborhoods and cities that they serve. Mimi, we're almost out of time. Is there somewhere on the web that doctors can go to learn any of this? Well, I would just say right off the top of my head would be the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. And then there's also a Traumatic Institute of Stress, I believe. But there's a couple of different foundations in the country that they could educate themselves, even with online courses. Captain Mimi Tompkins, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>